take our Bibles together this morning and turn to the book of Deuteronomy. The last time we were together, we went through Deuteronomy chapter 6 and the Shema of Israel. Do you remember that two weeks ago? I just felt compelled of the Lord to emphasize that text in relationship to all of the distractions that were occurring in our lives in the last few months and continue to be present in our lives today. And it certainly doesn't look like uh, any of these uh, distractions are going away uh, anytime soon. When I was done preaching that message on the way home, I uh, pray while I'm driving after I preach, just asking the Lord to fill any blanks in that I may have missed in what I had just said for 40 minutes. That's always a good exercise for me on Sundays. Uh, and then I'll go back later and I'll re-watch uh, the sermon that I preached on video and I'll see different things and I'll hear different things that I want to change and uh, maybe next time I would say a little differently and, and often wish I would have said, hear thing, did not hear things I wish I would have said. I would say in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the latter is probably what most stuck out in my mind is wishing I would have said some things I didn't say. Now, I didn't intentionally not say those things. I'm bound by time. <laughs> so I said what I could say with the time that I had. But instead of going on into 2 Corinthians chapter 2 in our book study there, which we'll pick up next week, I thought I would spend all of this Sunday focusing upon practical ways that we could implement what we learned in Deuteronomy chapter 6 in the Shema of Israel. Okay? And I want to speak to you this morning about what it means to have a word-saturated home. How do we achieve, how do we achieve the goal of having a word-saturated home? So this is not a Father's Day message. It's not a Mother's Day message. It's a message for the home. It's a message for the home regardless whether it's single parent or two parents, whether you're single, unmarried, whether you're married with or without children. This is a message for the home in which you live. How do I, how do we maintain or have a word-saturated home? You might recognize this quote. Tell me and I forget. Teach me and I remember. Involve me and I learn. Have you heard that before? Tell me and I forget. Teach me and I remember, involve me, and I learn. You know that came from Benjamin Franklin. There's some spiritual virtue involved with that when it comes to understanding the Word of God, isn't it? Just talk about it, tell me, and I'm going to forget. Teach me, and I'll remember. But you involve me, you involve me. That's where I really learn. That's what we're trying to attained to here at Grace Church of Mentor with discipleship. Amen. Spending time together over the Word of God. Living 
the Word of God together. That's not just a good idea, well-motivated good idea. That's a biblical mandate, right? We're all to be teaching each other to observe everything the Lord's commanded us. That's not my singular responsibility as a pastor to proclaim it to you, where you just hear it and then forget it. It's not merely my responsibility to set up and to train biblical teachers of the Word so that you can show up and listen to them skillfully teach God's Word in an honorable way, as James 3 would have us do, and leave you there. It's my responsibility as a shepherd to shepherd you unto disciple-making purposes so that you can learn it together and learn it. You really can't learn it until you're living the Word of God together. That's what we're doing as a church family, but it can't start with us. It's got to start in your homes. How do you have Word-saturated homes? Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4. You're probably already there. Before the Shema of Israel, this was not unfamiliar. This was not an unfamiliar refrain in the Mosaic community. The words are often recited throughout Mosaic literature, especially this book of the Pentateuch. So look at verse 9. Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen. What had Israelite eyes seen? Pre-Egypt. Post-Egypt. What had they seen? I think that's an admonition we need to underscore in our Bibles because often we're talking about the written preserved word. And my friends, these things that they had been eyewitnesses to had been preserved in the word of God. Don't forget what your eyes have seen. That you do not depart from your heart all the days of your life but make them known to your sons and to your grandsons. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when the Lord said to me, assemble the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they might learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth that they may teach their children. There's three particular words that I would like to describe in defining what is a word-saturated home. It needs to be, first of all, consistently saturated. Number two, deeply saturated. And number three, meaningfully saturated. Again, whether you're single, single parent, two-parent home, Two adults married with no children, you need to have a consistently, deeply, and meaningfully word-saturated home. We said last time we were together that the Shema of Israel is repeated after Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Deuteronomy chapter 11. So let's jump over a few pages to the right and let's read verse 19 of Deuteronomy chapter 11 together. 
You shall teach them to your sons, talking to them when you sit in your house. And when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. There's consistency in those phrases. In other words, how often should we be word-saturated? The word saturated answers that question. It needs to be commonplace to have spiritual discussions in your home. It needs to be as common of a conversation as any other conversation would be normal to maintain in your home. As a matter of fact, we really can't talk cooking, hobbies, sport, politics, social agendas, work, our vocation, function in our neighborhoods. There really is no thing that we do in our life that the Word of God does not address. We ought to know the Word of God well enough, which is our second point, to be able to maintenance and carry on consistent conversations of how the Word of God applies to any part of our life. From sleep, to diet, to exercise, to education. The new nature that we've been given as we've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, has given us the, under, the ability to understand the Word of God as it applies to all areas of life and godliness. So really, I don't, I don't believe as a dad I've ever seen one conversation about any one of those aforementioned things as separate from a conversation about the Word of God. Does that make sense? If we're going to have a Word-saturated home, we've got to be able to understand how the Word of God applies to every part of our life as previously detailed. Okay. We can't compartmentalize God's Word apart from any practical part of our life. It must saturate those practical parts of our lives. And it must be spoken about equally so. Joshua chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, right? I want to read a translation that you may not be familiar with and how it articulates the transliteration of the Hebrew language here. I think it'll help these verses maybe come to life just a little bit more. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in everything you do. It's all-sided in its application, isn't it? It's foolproof. It's all-sided. It's comprehensive in its application to every part of life. 
This translation goes on to quote Joshua saying, this is my command, be strong and be courageous. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged to make these practical applications of the word of God to every part of your life. Don't be discouraged. Be confident. Why? Because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go and whatever you do. Over with me to Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Throughout the years, a lot of you, many of you have asked me, what are the scripture passages that God's used in your life to help you in your home? And I, I'm, just, I'm just going through these passages that God's helped me. If I've been any um, way honoring to God in my home, which I hope I've won more battles than I've lost, because I know I'm imperfect, and I've lost a few, these are the Bible verses that remain my anchors to consistently applying God's Word to every practical part of life. It began for me uh, long before I was married with Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 8. Hear my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Go over to chapter 2 of Proverbs. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, Make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Chapter 3, verse 1. My son... Do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Chapter 4, verse 1. Hear, O sons, the instruction of your father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching, and do not abandon my instruction. When I was a son to my father, tender, and, and the only son in the sight of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. and She will guard you. Love her and she will watch over you. Chapter 5 and verse 1. 
My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may observe discretion and your lips may uh, reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. A tremendous text in chapter 5 about warning our children against adultery and immorality and intimate union outside the context of marriage. The Word of God applies to every part of life. Chapter 6, verse 1. My son, if you have become surety for your neighbor, have given a pledge for a stranger, if you have been snared with the words of your mouth, have been caught with the words of your mouth, do this then, my son, and deliver yourself. Since you have come into the hand of your neighbor, go humble yourself and importune your neighbor. Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. There's been an inappropriate exchange here. You can study it out in your own context. But yet, where does the son get instruction, from the fa- get instruction on how to resolve the issue? From his father. A very practical issue here. Verse, chapter 7 and verse 1. My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live. Man shall not live by bread alone, remember? Keep my commandments and know how to live. Don't be naive. Be skilled in the art of living. And my teachings is the apple of your eye Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablets of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call understanding your intimate friend that they may keep you from the adulteress and from the foreigner who flatters with her words. We could go on and on and on throughout the book of Proverbs, but the first seven chapters teach us something of consistency. And this is not the mere instruction of an old-fashioned parent. This is the instruction of a parent who's been word-saturated, so they're able to instruct the word well and apply it to practical areas of life. It's one thing to lecture as a parent on good old-fashioned morals or good old-fashioned this or good old-fashioned that. I won't decry that. But a word-saturated home means that there's word-saturated leaders in that home that know how to take that word and skillfully apply it to the naive in their home to teach them how to live in every practical way possible. So, we could go on, but consistently, consistently. um, One of the best ways that you can consistently promote the Word in your home, uh, and these are some things that we've done. You don't have to do them. They're just things that have been helpful Years ago, we were, we were given by someone in the church a box of Scripture verses. 
to set on our kitchen table so our children would always be reminded, whether they did or didn't, to take that box, just flip the lid, and pick out a scripture verse for the day. Some of you have chosen, and wisely so, to take scripture and put it into art and display it on your walls or on your shelves. Good for you. One thing I used to do is take scripture and put it in a post-it, write it on a post-it note. And from time to time, when I knew one of my kids was struggling, way back in early elementary school, I'd put it in their lunchbox. So when they opened their lunchbox, it would be a verse that would practically apply to something I knew I had an intense conversation with them about. There were other times, a handful of times, not all the time, I would take soap and I would write a scripture verse on their mirror in their bathroom. That washes off nicely. When they walk in there, on the mirror. There were some times when they had um, been able to achieve a particular goal, academically or athletically, I would take that soap and I'd write congratulations on their mirror in their bathroom with the scripture verse at the end. And everything give thanks. For this is the will of God. There were times where I would put a post-it note with scripture for my own memory, for my own purposes, on the dashboard of my car while my kids were growing up. Because there was a particular issue I was dealing with in my own life spiritually, and that scripture was a reminder to me, but guess who's seated behind me? Always being reminded that dad needs that as much as they need that. Often those conversations, those, those scripture texts posted would create conversation. Dad, why, that, why is that there? Well, Dad's a spiritual schmuck sometimes. I make a lot of mistakes, and God convicts me. And let me tell you a recent mistake that I made. And I had to tell the Lord I'm sorry for it, and I'm sorry to you for that. But this is the Word of God that brings me back around and sets me back on my feet and gets me going again. Okay? Consistency. Saturated lives consistency. I would implore you that if you have children in your home every single night before they're born until they're through the 6th to 8th grade make sure you have at least 5 minutes every night at that age. Cite a verse, memorize it together, and to pray. And if you don't do that, it's never too late to start. A lot of people say a children's habits and lives are formed and established by the time they're five. I've read other sociologists and psychologists that say, well, it's really eight years old. No, 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 it's really 10. I've read one recently. Well, it's 12. If you don't have the mind and heart of your child set, and this was a secular writer, by the time they're 12, and the way that you'd like them to live, then you've lost them. I'm not going to get caught up in an age limit that's terminal 
because that doesn't describe what God's word can do to change a life at any age. <laughs> right? All I can say is it's never too late to do the right thing. Whatever you've got to do to um, saturate the word of God in your home consistently, do it. Do your children know that you're in the word consistently? My goodness, electronic media today, my friends. If you don't use it wisely, it's like any electronic tool. We've got the opportunity now to send our children Bible texts. And from time to time, even tell them what that Bible text meant to you that morning you read it. Consistently. What's consistently in front of their eyeballs? I read an article recently that said that eight hours a day for children, screen time, eight hours a day, take their phone and go to their analytics, and you can see how they spend, how you spend those eight hours a day. A lot of that research and reading is not bad. All I'm saying is we should consistently send a spiritual commercial <laughs> all right, to that constant refrain of data and information they're getting. And it should be naturally received because it should have been a normal pattern. You start doing that with your children now and they might say, oh, wait, oh, dad must have heard a sermon or mom must have heard a sermon and they're going to start this now. You know what? Let them have some heartburn for 48 hours. It's okay. When you send it, tell them you love them. When you send it, tell them you sent it because it spoke to you first and you really don't have anything to teach them without you learning it first. Why don't you let the Word of God create some vulnerability in your life that your kids can see so that they can grow. See, I don't have any kids in my home, Pastor. Consistently saturating your life with the Word of God is quite similar to when you're doing it when you're having kids as when you're alone. Every single morning, you should have spiritual breakfast. For my children, the best time I could spend with them was at night before they were going to go to sleep. To me, children best receive the Word of God at night. And then I knew they were going to be falling to sleep with the Word of God, K through 6th grade, K through 8th grade, right? And probably sleep more peacefully, and I at least wanted them to fall asleep with the words of God on their heart and their mind. But for an adult, the best time to be with God is when you're having your bagel or your coffee. And if you can't do two things at once, read before or after your bagel and your coffee. <laughs> It's got to be consistent. It's got to be consistent. Right? Number two, and by the way, we probably won't get through all three because I'm excited about a baptism that's to come. All right? So we'll finish this up next week. But number two, deeply. Deeply. Go over with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, a passage that's probably easy to remember for you folks. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul's writing Timothy, who's now a pastor at Ephesus, and reminding him of how he was reared 
reminding him how he was reared. Verse 14. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are also able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And you remember the history of Timothy's grandmother and mother, Lois and Eunice, right? He was reared in a home, apparently, without a saved grandpa and without a saved daddy. But he had two saved ladies in his life who began to pray for him. And if you track Timothy's history back to Acts 14, Acts 15, and Acts 16, apparently these two word-saturated ladies saturated little Timothy, then young Timothy, and then young man Timothy's life with the Word of God in every practical way because by the time he gets to Acts 16 and he's about 18 years old, he's been well prepared by these two word-saturated ladies to join Paul's first missionary team. And his testimony of character had sounded out throughout his city and throughout his region by 18 because of these two word-saturated ladies. But look with me at verse 17. What did this mean to Timothy, having been raised this way? And this is where we'll pick up next week. All Scripture is inspired by God and it is profitable for what? Teaching. Your translation may say doctrine. What doctrine? All of it. All of it. What do you know about eschatology? You say, I just got saved. I don't know even what that word is. But you'll find out. But if you've been in Jesus for a while, what do you know about it? Have anyone, has anyone in your home or in your existence, in your experience in the last three months even brought up what's going on in this world, it's turbulence, what's coming? Have you been able to take the word of God and skillfully say, hey, look, let's read this, let's settle our hearts, right, and let's walk through this together. It's profitable for teaching. You've got to be able to know it before you can speak it. All of it, gradually, over time, we know this is a growth process, but exposing yourself to being able to know, to embrace, to live, and then to speak. And it's profitable. Angelology. We were in the car recently on a trip to North Carolina and we got to talking about angels in the car. And my kids kept asking me, Dad, tell me stories about angels. And then, Dad, where in the Bible does it talk about angels? Dad, who's the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament? Dad, do angels still take on physical form? Dad, do angels still help Christians, God's people? Dad, do good angels help unsaved people? Dad, how do fallen angels affect our world? Do you know the text? 
Do you know how to explain? And why are they asking all these questions? I'm assuming they're asking because they have a need in their heart to know. Some of them have friends that are asking them these questions. And the more turbulent the world gets, they want to know how they're going to be kept safe and they want to know what's going to happen in the future. They got to know. Eschatology, future things. Angelology in the most practical ways. Dad, tell me. If Hebrews 13 says that they minister to us unawares, Dad, you tell me how they've done that to you. Do you have a story? Noah pops up from the back seat again. Dad, tell me another story. He said you had quite a few. Tell me more. So I told him more and told him more and told him more. Whatever the doctrine may be, bibliology, the study of the the inspiration, the preservation of the Holy Word of God. It's right here. It's the main springboard text right here in chapter 3 and verse 16. Can you explain the origin of the Word? Can you explain how God's preserved it? Can you explain that both inspiration and preservation are miraculous acts of God so that we would have the bread from heaven to be able to live? So that's above my pay grade. You know what? It's really not if you're going to have a word-saturated home. He says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So what are we doing to lead our homes in a gradual, increasing way that's going to lead us to be deeply involved with the Word of God? Deep and wide. Deep and wide. All the verbs in this text are either aorist or perfect, if you know the Greek language. All the verbs or verbals in this text speak to a point of time in Timothy's past where his journey through his grandma and grandma, grandma and mom, began. And it was maintenance all the way to the point where he was ministering now in Ephesus consistency deeply not just doctrine but knowing the word of God well enough for it to convict you, reproof the verse goes on to say verse 16 and then to correct you you guys know that language that have been around scripture for a long time the word of God can reprove us that's the word for breaking a bone but the word of God needs to convict us sometimes but then it's also able to mend us correct us and give us that spiritual splint so that bone can heal. So it can heal maybe even stronger it was when it was first created, right? And then continue to grow with training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So, We're not talking about a journey of being a word-saturated individual or home that's a mile wide and an inch deep. It's a mile wide and it's a mile deep and then it grows two miles wide and two miles deep then three miles wide and three miles deep and it's our responsibility to make sure that we just keep growing. 
And my goodness, my friends, if we ever needed a time in our history, in our culture, where we needed deep and wide believers in relationship to being word-saturated, it's now. It's now. Okay. Consistently and deeply We'll continue on with meaningfully next Lord's Day. Right? Because all of this matters not if we just intellectually own it, if we cannot practically live it. So that's what we'll talk about with meaningfully next week. All right, let's pray together. Father in heaven, help us to take these passages with us and continue to develop in ourselves personally and then collectively in our homes what it means to have word-saturated places in which we live so that we can live wisely in our time. Thank you for the testimony we're about to hear and for this wonderful time we've had to worship and encourage each other this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.